0: Can a lobbyist be a fiduciary let me repeat that can a lobbyist be a fiduciary if not why do we keep letting them write the bills in congress especially about ethics and fiduciary matters they're writing the bills for themselves Again, and look, I know I brought this up the last few shows, but all the articles, all the uh, the regulators, it's all flying. They're all trying to figure out how to do this and how to make commission salesmen with conflicts of interest sound like a fiduciary and put everybody together and lump them all together. It's all about sounding like a fiduciary like you are without the liability. And speaking of fiduciaries, did the CFP designation just lose all street credibility? All street cred? They just the CFP board just announced that CFPs are fiduciaries even in even when they sell annuities. Really? So, okie dokie, you're just gonna make it by com, uh, 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 proclamation. We're just gonna say that's it. Don't worry about it. It's got a ten year surrender penalty, and I'm making a big ten percent. Uh, commission on that there's no conflicts of interest and they're your fiduciary got it i don't think a lawyer is going to see it that way i think a lawyer is going to see that anyway i got all those articles put up on the uh, three or four different articles about this big fight and the lobbyist and now the, uh, the republicans in congress are blocking any funding for this fiduciary bill even if it does get some get passed and get it there's no funding for it it's a big fight so we're going to have to see what goes on now, surprise, surprise, surprise. You've got under unintended consequences. So there's a lot of medical companies that put out medical bonds, put out bonds that they need to refinance Now. I know we talked about this at nausea in the last few uh, months about all this debt being rolled over, corporate debt. But here's another flying the ointment. The uh, regulators uh, came up with this new bill, and I get it. It's a surprise medical bill. It's called the No Surprise Bill. And when you go in for surgery, or you go somewhere for a medical procedure, sometimes they'll bring in an anesthesiologist or other professionals in that in that procedure that are out of network. And if they don't really, if you're really not paying attention, all of a sudden you may get some big bills that aren't covered. Well, Congress passed a bill; they can't do that anymore. They, it's all got to be in network. And they're well, the problem is, all of a sudden that caused a lot of losses and a lot of write-offs and a lot of these companies now hit their earnings while they have to roll the debt forward. So even though there's going to be a big problem with rolling debt over in this next six to 18 months, some of these medical companies actually have a bigger problem, these medical facility companies, and they, they name them in the article. You can go read that. Um, but it could be a medical rollover nightmare for their bonds. And um, But my favorite headline this week, and I'm just going to read it, PIMCO calls for bonds to rally in 2024 after bullish forecasts crumbled this year. Think about that. What that what that title is actually saying is they completely missed the boat and were completely wrong last year on their forecast. I mean, way off base. Completely missed it. But you ought to listen to them this year. They're, they're, it's probably they'll probably now. The question is actually, I kind of agree with them because bonds had the worst year ever last year. They had a huge rout in bonds. And out bonds, actually, interest rates may be peaking, and it may actually be time to finally go into bonds. And I, I want to talk about this a little bit because this is very important. If you believe that bonds are peaking and interest rates, bond, I'm sorry, yields are peaking, therefore bond prices have... You know, taking their most of their hits, they're not going down. But now you've got a potential for capital gains at bonds if rates come down. But you can also lock in some higher rates. Now, folks, I know that everybody's been rushing into these bond ETFs and 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 Treasury money market ETFs, and that's all good and well. But they buy one month, two month, three month, twelve. They buy a whole ladder, and if rates so you get like a blended rate. If rates start coming down. It's the seven-day average yield. That whole yield will come down. If you own individual bonds, you could actually lock that yield in for six months or a year, however long that maturity is. Point being, and this gets a little complicated. I'm going to keep this very simplified. Point being is if you've been using ETFs and you've been, which we use a lot, and you've been using uh, uh, treasury money market funds for your fixed income or even if you're just, you know, putting it in defense while you're, you know, being defensive with stocks. If you're planning on keeping that money for for fixed income and safe money, you may want to take some of that that's in mutual funds and ETFs and actually do individual T-bills or individual investment grade bonds or whatever the case may be so you lock in the yields as rates come down and you will get capital gains as well as a higher interest rate. Now, that gets a little complicated. I don't want to give specific individual investment advice, but if you've got any questions, you can call me. I do want to bring that up, though, because that is going to be a big uh, deal uh, coming forward. You may want to lock in um, some rates. And by the way, now, again, when I say safe money, I said that for a reason, because if rates come down, you will get capital gains on bonds and bonds will do well. However, stocks will do even better, generally. And by the way, stocks and bonds are normally positively correlated, not inversely correlated. They only become inversely correlated during flights to quality and, I mean, flights to quality fear, like there's a fear trade and stock market is selling off. And so the people go go move into bonds as a defensive knee-jerk reaction. But generally, the bonds and stock prices will follow the interest rate cycle and the business cycle. So in any event, those are all good. We've got a lot of uh, show notes. I do want to um, bring up the mailbag. But before I do, I've just got to read this because this is just hysterical. You guys have been watching the college football. So I've got a friend His name is uh, Detlef Hollerman, he's a PhD, he works for Texas A&M, he's a professor. He has been an adjunct professor for Rice, but he's a a professor at A&M. And he's a PhD in mineral economics, he got his uh, PhD from mineral economics in Colorado School of Mines, he's got his MBA from Denver. But he posted this on LinkedIn a a couple days ago. I am honored to announce that I've taken the opportunity to apply for an inc- the incredibly esteemed position as head football coach at my alma mater at Texas A&M, I could not have done it without the love and support of my family and the link to the Hire Aggies website. As I look back on all my mentors in the energy industry and in my life, I realize that none of them could have prepared me for this opportunity. Not one lick. not one lick. But as I move forward down this incredible journey of self-discovery, I'm reminded of what my great friend Sasquatch told me several times. He said, "Believe in yourself even when no one else does." I'm sorry folks, I just thought that was funny because Texas A&M is really licking their wounds now with the I mean, they are going to have to pay Jimbo Fisher tens of millions of dollars just to say goodbye. So
1: 75 million.
0: 75 million to that, sit on that's the, what
1: they owe him. To, to sit on the, the couch.
0: couch.
1: Yeah. The contract was $95 million all guaranteed.
0: Yep. They still yep.
1: owe him 75
0: It's unbelievable. I just think it was so funny that you could actually apply uh, for the head football coach on the uh, uh, higher Aggies website. Normally that's you know for TAs and teachers and people in the, but apparently you can still do it for the football coach too. I would have thought that would have been a little bit more uh, behind the scenes, private dealings you know it is, but in any event, all right. So let's go to the mailbag and then we're going to dive right into the markets with that kind of theme about what is the markets, what are they telling us? And because the market, the stocks have been acting pretty well the last few weeks. It's been actually been uh, heating up again. And uh, interest rates and bonds have actually started acting decently as well. So we'll talk about that. Uh, two two mailbags this week. This was on 1115. This is from JP. Good afternoon, Dan. I'm pretty sure it was on the Revere Show. I heard about a book by Larry Height. Uh, the rule, um, main points, asymmetric risk even. And uh, I, I'm just wondering if Revere has ever considered using options in risk management. I'm not talking about short dated out of the money options. I'm um, more like in the money options a few months out or even longer at, in some even as 12 months out. Those are called leaps. Um, a small amount of premium paid at a favorable entry point He goes about all the uh, uh Good things about that. I understand options have a bad reputation. Most lose money or expire worthless. However, most options are bought short term and way out of the money. That is true. Uh, many times they are used as a head or p- hedge or part of a more complex strategy. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dan, and love the work the Revere team does. Thanks, JP. I uh, said, so, JP, we actually have an option strategy similar to the ones you described using in the money options, both short-term and further dated options, but only offered to a very few select clients who understand options. This is because if we invest in options on behalf of a client, even if it's a risk reduction, strategy if the client doesn't understand options they don't have to understand everything but Philosophically, if they don't understand options, that's a violation. So it's it's really kind of hard. Retail people can do it because they're doing it with their own money. When you when you have advisors, it becomes a little bit stickier unless they're accredited and you can do it and you just gotta make sure you document everything. I uh, said, so therefore it becomes a compliance headache. Uh, that said, the options overlay strategy employed is doing well and it has added alpha to the portfolios. Okay, next, uh, 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 Mailbag. And this one is really apropos for kind of the markets and what's going on right now. This was on Wednesday, 11 15, uh, from KC. Don, is that a bearish can- engulfing candle on NVDA today? Uh, will you sell it at break even or let, let it run? To the 21 exponential moving average, uh, uh, which would be a loss. Also, I see earnings coming up next week. Curious if you, for NVIDIA, uh, curious if you were holed into earnings, always seemed, meaning earnings, always seems like earnings is such a crapshoot. Thanks, thank you, and great video today. Don says yes, meaning yes, it's an engulfing uh, candle, but that's typical on a stalling day after a multi- day run higher. Okay, so with that, I want to go to the team review. I want to get right into the stocks. But but here's the question. If you have a short-term run, how do you determine whether it's just consolidation and it's going to digest the gain for a couple days, which would be very healthy and good, or whether it's it's run its course and it has has a pullback? Because there is you do have to play the notes in between the music. There is some um finesse to it so with that don uh why don't you uh go over the markets
1: sure here's a, a chart of nvidia and you can see the strong uh 10 day up run that it had after this false breakdown if you've listened to the videos you've heard me say from failed moves come fast moves in the opposite direction and this is a classic case of it uh, breakdown below the 400 level on nvidia uh a lot of p. this is why we don't short breakdowns we prefer to short when something is weak and it and it wedges back up into a resistance area very often breakdowns are just an example of uh, a shakeout because everybody's got the everybody saw how the 400 level was massive support Uh, for NVIDIA going uh, well support and or resistance going back to uh, June of this year. So it was resistance at first on the way up after uh, the earnings gap two earnings ago and then every pullback to the 400 level got bought. So when it finally in a weak market gave way below the 400 level, a bunch of shorts piled in and they were disappointed. Uh, It was a false breakdown, went on a uh, 10-day run higher after that. And then when we got up to near this 500 level, we call these Livermore levels. This is something from the book Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. Around levels like this, just uh, their psychological resistance and support levels, it's a normal spot for it to pause especially after uh, a big run like that. I mean, that's a 20% run too from 400, 25% run from 400 to 500 uh, in uh, you know two weeks. So it's a normal spot for it to pause. It's a leader. It's showing relative strength. It's got great uh, fundamentals. And yes, it does have earnings coming up next week. Uh, we'll make the earnings decision as that approaches, but we've got a formula that we use to never lose more than 1% Uh, of AUM on any earnings uh, blow up, which would be a two, there's something called the market maker move. That is a plus or minus move uh, implied in the options pricing. And we take two times that level, uh, make sure that we don't have a position size big enough that we would violate that. And video, we only got a 3% 3 position, so that's not gonna be an issue. Uh, We'll see how it acts uh, going into earnings next week. As far as the overall market goes, uh, couldn't ask for really better action on the big cap indexes. Uh, we undercut, reclaimed this 200-day moving average. This also was a very similar false breakdown like we saw in Nvidia. Uh, it was boosted by the Fed, and it was also boosted this week by a weak CPI report. So we had our O'Neill follow-through day. We had them on 11.1 and 11.2. Uh, on the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 continued to go higher. Uh, One test of the 50-day moving average on that weak bond auction last week. The next day, uh, we did a bullish engulfing of that uh, candle and made higher highs, broke through this 4,400 level. We've been talking on the videos how 4,385 to 4,400 was a big resistance level. We finally got through it, uh, cemented that move up with the gap up Uh, on the CPI day and now we're just in a two-day consolidation near the highs of that gap up day. Uh, Normal consolidation the last two days, uh, minor pain involved to it as yesterday was an underperforming day for some leading stocks. Uh, And those stocks are consolidating a bunch of their gains. What you will see in a lot of them is you'll wait for Uh, The stochastic uh, to go from overbought to oversold on the 60-minute time frame. I talked about that uh, in last night's video. Let's look at an example of that. Let's bring up D-U-O-L and bring up the stochastics and go to a 60-minute chart. And uh, it came back to its high-volume close. When something has a big move up on earnings, you always take note of where it closes that day. And uh, a pullback to that level near the eight EMA and a 60-minute stochastic uh, being oversold and trying to hook higher, which it did yesterday. Uh, it did at the more uh, at this morning. Uh, it hasn't hooked higher yet, but this is a great low-risk uh, entry point for this name. And you're seeing a lot of leaders just do normal pullbacks on the 60-minute level, uh, and it can present a buying opportunity for something that has had a good run on temporary weakness and then uh, with a fairly tight stop because what should happen is uh, that support should come in at that level on these types of names. And if it doesn't, then there's either something wrong with the other market weakness or that individual name. Uh, But that's kind of the situation that we're in right now, normal pullback after a nice run up. The thing that I don't like is that small caps, and this is mostly led by oils and banks to the downside, they went into the declining 200-day moving average yesterday, which was Wednesday, and had a hard reversal there and are following through to the downside today. Uh, There was a note that came out about, there had been talk about uh, fees for banks, additional fees for banks to prevent uh, against that banking crisis that we had back in March. And that's one of the reasons why the banks are weak today. And oil's just generally weaker on the perception that the economy is slowing uh, a bit. So there are a lot of oils and banks and small cap IWM, and they're contributing to the weakness on that today. Uh, Still holding above the 21 day moving average. This was a huge move up too. Five and a half percent on Tuesday, followed through to the upside before the reversal on Wednesday, and now we're seeing lower prices today, but still has hasn't only regained half of the move, pulled back to half of the move, which is completely normal from a technical perspective. So, uh, we're focused on leading names in leading uh, sectors, casting a wide net to see if this uh, rally continues. What are the true leaders that are going to emerge? Right now we own 12 individual names with uh, nothing more than a half, per, a half position. And we're waiting uh, to see some things play out, doing a combination of selling into strength and buying into short-term weakness on some of these leading names, uh, always with stops in place. So that's uh, that's a summary of the market where we are right now and what we're doing in-house. And I'm sure you're going to do some interpretation for everybody on that, Dan.
0: Actually, that was pretty damn good. I I was going to ask you about the small, but you you led into small caps right away because I was going to mention small caps about you know how they've been weaker. That you normally <clears throat> in a good good strong bullish market, you want to see the riskier areas, whether that's small caps or emerging markets you hear overseas but small caps and growthier large cap names versus the dividend players should be going up more than the large cap blue chip right a healthy growth market if if, if large caps are going up and small caps are kind of lagging that's not always a healthy sign you kind of got to be careful it might be a false rally but yesterday kind of gave some hope that it the small caps might actually be turning the corner And then you got some softness today so i think watching small caps is going to be kind of key here's the overall from an economic fundamental standpoint and that's kind of what the technicals are actually reflecting look folks when it feels bad when you're worried about the economy slowing down interest rates are peaking and everything's you know feeling tight and it's you're worried about a recession they're throwing around around the r word all the time and where they're talking about soft landing or hard landing you're getting close to the time to really put money to work normally if it in fact turns out to be a fairly soft landing or a shallow recession they are finally taking the, the breaks off interest rates. They are slowing. You're seeing layoffs. You're seeing jobs. Psychologically, that scares people. They see all these layoffs coming, and you go, oh, my gosh, that's that's bad. It's bad for Main Street, but it's actually good for the uh, Wall Street because actually with layoffs, normally earnings go up a little bit because payroll goes down. I know that's counterintuitive. whole point being is layoffs may actually be a sign that we may be you know starting to 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 go into a longer uptrend now that said if the politicians and or the fed screw this up and we do go into a deeper recession it's not just shallow or even just a medium recession but they do slow it down too much or they raise one more time and really hurt it then all bets are off and it could go the other way. I don't think it's going to be even keel. I don't think it's going to be smooth. I think personally, is my opinion. It doesn't matter what I think. It's price is going to dictate. I think we're either going to see a really strong rally, a longer term rally heading into the election year. Or something happens and it comes out of left field, geopolitical, political here, whatever the case may be. And we go into a bear market. I don't think it's going to be that. And, and again, it doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what the market thinks. Now, Don did mention about the banks. Remember, we brought that up months ago when you had the Silicon Bank fail and I said that that they put lipstick on it, they kind of papered over it for a while, that it hadn't gone away. It's still lurking in the shadows there. A lot of these banks still have lots of debt, lots of debt that they've got to roll over and their demand for loans is going down. People aren't borrowing. So their earnings are getting squeezed. They're having to pay higher Depositors, but with less interest rates that they can charge. The longer rates they normally charge are lower. Their their income is lower, or even operating at a loss, and their balance sheet of bonds has gone down. So they're still struggling. So we'll have to wait, but that's why we don't measure. We measure what is happening while it's happening and make adjustments accordingly. We don't forecast a year out like PIMCO and completely miss the boat. And you know we don't do that all right don let's let's talk to the guys uh let's let's see what the uh, team has
1: it's also possible with the you know the assumption the market looks six to nine months out that pullback here was uh seeing the recession down the road and that's it and this move up here is seeing the recovery from the recession uh very possible that that's what the market uh is forecasting but again we don't predict we'll see Uh, We're also, seasonality has worked nearly perfectly uh, this year. We bottomed late October uh, and are kicking off a strong rally in November, the Santa Claus rally typically going through the end of the year. Uh, But again, we play it stock by stock, day by day, uh, level by level, and a pause near the top of this consolidation is, uh, is pretty normal.
0: By, by the way, by the way, Don, before you go, so you talked about, you brought up seasonality. So, folks, I'm sure you've heard the term sell in May and go away, and then supposedly you're supposed to buy end of October, November, and then go go until May, theoretically, right? But besides that annual seasonality, you actually have four-year presidential election cycle, uh, uh, uh markets because why is it it's political the politicians and especially the fed the fed does not want to be an event. they don't want to be causing problems the last quarter of this year and headed into the presidential election year because they don't want to be an issue they don't want either side the incumbent or the guy running against them, running a platform against the fed oh uh, look what the fed did they did this or you know and so the the, the incumbents On both sides of the aisle and the White House, they want a good market. They want people happy. They don't want you upset. And so they always try to engineer a pretty good, they're normally not raising rates into the election year. They're normally kind of dropping rates or at least keeping them the same. And they're all also increasing the money supply. They're injecting liquidity behind the scenes. So even if they're not saying it, out loud Im- explicitly with rates, the level of rates, implicitly they're behind the scenes, they sneak money in the system to grease the wheels. They do it every four years. So you've heard the old adage, don't fight the Fed. If it's set up, that's that's what's gonna happen. But again, it doesn't matter because if it doesn't work out, we've got a we've got an exit strategy. We always have an exit strategy. All right, Don.
1: And 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 speaking of which, uh, talking about uh, rate increases or cuts, this is a great website, CMEGroup.com. It talks about the next. It it always shows that your Fed meetings and what the rate, what the market is pricing in. Relative to right now, we've got a ninety nine point seven percent chance of no hike at the December meeting. A ninety five point six percent chance of not only no hike at the January meeting, but a 4% chance of a cut. And then as you go into 2024, uh, the March meeting is up to a 33% chance of a of a 25 basis point cut and actually a 1% chance of a 50 basis point cut, only 65% chance that we'd still be where we are. So uh, the market seems to be looking at the short term rate cuts as soon as the first quarter uh, of next year. So, and, and when, uh, like, like you said, like you said, that's what the, that's what, uh, any incumbent would want to see is a smoothing of economic, an easing of economic conditions.
0: Uh, let me let me talk. so that CME that Don was just showing folks, those are treasury futures, retail mom and pop. They don't trade those. Those are traded by big institutional money, hedge funds, governments, Corporations—that's the institutional money that's setting those probabilities, not mom and pop uh, uh, in Poteet, Texas. So, anyway,
1: and that's only short—that's only short-term rates. That's right, the, right, the
0: yes, 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 yes.
1: All right, let's get to the guys now. Enough yakking. Let's uh, start off with Michael today, and uh, no pre-charts uh, for anybody. But we've got—we'll be accenting what they're discussing with uh,
2: MarketSmith charts today okay good morning guys so getting uh, as promised last week i'm going to start do one of the the first uh, fundamental valuation methodologies which is the comparable companies analysis and what that is is it provides a benchmark so you've got a list of companies that you can use to value a company at any given time and it's really especially useful for mergers and acquisitions so that's buyouts and and uh, companies either merging together or another company buying another company and then IPOs which are as I'm sure most people know initial public offerings Uh, so the foundation for trading these comparables is sort of built upon the premise that similar companies within an industry provide a highly relevant reference point for valuing a given company a target company you're looking at due to the fact that they share key business and financial characteristics, performance drivers, and risk. So what you do is these peer companies are benchmarked against one another. And then the target is based on, so you look at that target and then based on their financial statistics and ratios, such as PE ratios, price to sales ratios, cash flow yields, all of these different ratios, you set them up and then you can compare the companies and see which ones you think are undervalued which ones are overvalued and if there's certain companies in there there, there's outliers on the extremes there's one that has a pe and a price to sales and everything that's way above the rest of the group well that's worth looking into because clearly the market there is valuing it a little differently to the rest of the group and maybe there's something special that makes them different and they're not necessarily the same there's something special about them and an example just quickly i won't get into it but tesla for example you've got a, all of the pe's of of the autos gm ford toyota they kind of trade in similar similar metrics the financial ratios are all pretty similar and then you've got tesla which has got a forward pe of 60 which is which is well above any other company in that group so maybe the market isn't valuing tesla just as an auto company and we'll see Do they eventually revert and and get back to the rest of the group or do they continue making strides in other areas and they become much more than just a an auto company. So that's a possibility and an example of how I use this recently and how how you guys too at home when you're doing your own analysis can use this this comparables uh, comparable company analysis is. So recently, a few months ago, Broadcom announced that it was buying VMware, VMW, and that company's in the software enterprise group. And I noticed that there were a lot of other names that were actually performing really well, had a lot of relative strength. So I wanted to try to see what could potentially be another, another buyout target because it's always nice to buy a company. And then shortly after you buy it, it jumps 30% on a, on a buyout. So those are always always fun to look for. And something really useful that I love is, so I'm not sure if you, if the viewers have ever heard of this website, but if not, you should definitely bookmark it and be checking this very, very frequently. And that's the, the SEC website. So if you go to sec.gov, they've got something called Edgar Filings, which is where you get your 10Ks, which are annual reports, quarterly reports, any information you need on any company, any public company is listed on the SEC's website. All of the companies have to disclose. All material information—it's all on there—and a, a specific filing that's super useful is called the DEF 14A, which is—it's a proxy. It's called the proxy statement, and it's the definitive proxy statement. And what it is is that it's used to provide shareholders with as much information as needed for something they have to vote on. So, for example, an acquisition. Shareholders have to vote on whether or not the company whether or not they approve the company either buying another one or selling the company and voting on board members re-electing board members all of these things that that shareholders have to vote on all the information that's relevant is in those filings so what i like to do is in those filings you can actually go through you can do a keyword search and look at uh comp competitors or comparable companies they list them in different ways it's typically competitors And you can actually see in the filing and they have a list, the company actually lists out all of their identified competitors. And this is really useful because VMW on MarketSmith or depending on what sort of identification, classification standards, a a certain website or, or data providers using, the groups, there's a lot of companies in that group that may not be direct competitors. And there's companies that may not be in that group that directly compete with that target company. So it's better to just get it from the company themselves, see that list, and then build your own database of, of these companies that you can compare it to. And yeah, it's a great way to get a universe of companies. So like, for example, after VMW, some companies that they listed, they listed a company called Akamai, A-K-A-M, which is doing super well. Then you've got Anet, Autodesk, Square, Squares in a different group on market smith you wouldn't think that they're a competitor they do something kind of different but vmw identified them as a, as a competitor so clearly there's a lot of things in there that they feel are are very similar so once you get that you can go through all the ratios see okay where are the forward pe's trading at one of them's at a, like the the industry average most of them are between the 20 and 25 range So then you can look for, as I said before, ones that are way lower and see, oh, maybe this is undervalued. Why is it so much lower? Then you dig into it, like do some more research on, figure out what's going on. And then you can possibly identify similar market caps. There was a buyout at $60 billion. Okay. Out of that list, there's four companies that are in that $40 to $60 billion range. They're all kind of trading at similar PEs then you look at management, you do other things, and then you can figure out, okay, maybe maybe this is the next target. Maybe this is why they're going after these companies, and I can identify another one, or I can avoid a company that's way higher in PE, and I, I just feel it's a little skier and perhaps overvalued versus the other ones. So that's the comparables company analysis, and back to, back to Don or Dan.
0: All right, Mike. Well, listen, thanks. So Folks, when you get companies in the same sector, one reason you have to value companies in sector by sector, some companies like Caterpillar or a big shipping company that's got oil tankers, their balance sheet analysis is very important because they have a lot of heavy equipment. For a, a service company that's just doing service stuff, and they don't have any in, they don't inventory, uh, they don't have inventory. They don't, they're not selling a product. They're doing a service. Their income statement is much more important, not their balance sheet. So there's a whole bunch of different valuation methods. Some sectors require one, a couple different methods, while others require others. But you can always do comparables within the same sector. Using those similar metrics, so you can tell, you can identify which ones are expensive, which ones are cheap. If you're really a sophisticated investor, you can actually do a pairs trade, where you buy the one you think is going to go up, and you can short the one that's you think is overvalued, going down, and then you kind of have a hedge. Anyway, all right. Thanks a lot, uh, Michael. Good, good, good job, Don.
1: All right. Let's move on over to Ted.
3: What do you got this week, Ted? Yep. So part of our market analysis, as you guys know, is talking about follow-through days, and that is applied to the market indexes like the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. However, there's another price and volume characteristic that we can look for on individual stocks or ETFs that can give us an indication that there might be a character change in the trend and a potential um, subsequent uptrend. And so what this is, it's called a pocket pivot. And how, how that's defined is basically it's a trading day, where the day's volume is greater than any of the down days in the prior 10 days. So to repeat that, it's a day where trading volume is greater than any of the down days within the last 10 days. And so the significance is that it's an indicator of institutional accumulation and a potential change in trend, and often it leads to subsequent uptrends. And gap up pocket pivots are even stronger because as you, as you could probably, See from the price and volume, institutions are loading in, and they can't get enough of it. And so, Don, if you can bring up GLD, yeah, right there. Don is pointing out multiple pocket pivots, and that led to a, a rally. But if you can go back and note um, the February 28th, 2023 pocket pivot, that was a subtle pocket pivot. The volume that day cleared. Um, the down days volume from the prior 10 days, even though it was subtle. And then after that, we made a move higher, pulled back, and then we had a gap up pocket pivot on March 20th, 2023. And this led to an 11% rally in gold, which is quite a lot for something like gold, the commodity that doesn't move that much. And so, Don, if you can go on to NVIDIA, and NVIDIA is one of the true market leaders of this current market. It is one of the biggest winners of this year as well that led the NASDAQ and the S&P to their their gains. Um, And the video is a special case from pretty much the start of the rally to this, like to the top in July, we made over a 200% move. And this one was just clear institutional accumulation. There were 15 pocket pivots um, starting in that January 9th, 2023. That NVIDIA started up with a gap up pocket pivot, and then it was followed by many, many other subsequent pocket pivots, um, sometimes even combining five days in a row. And you look at the chart, it pretty much trended above the 21 EMA, even the eight EMA for extended periods of time. And that, that led to an enormous uptrend following its correction in the bear market. And so coming to today, a present day case study, if you can pull up IWM, Two days ago, we had a gap of pocket pivot off um, a decrease in rates off the cooler CPI. And that not only was a pocket pivot, it was the highest volume in one year. And although we pushed up um, following that pocket pivot into the 200 day and reversed, and now we're pulling back a little bit, that doesn't mean the rally is over. And this is definitely something we're looking at to see if small caps can get in gear and kind of participate. And what the S&P names and the NASDAQ names have done this year. And so the pocket pivot is sort of, I guess, analogous to fall through today, but not necessarily, but it's still like a fall today and in, indicates institute, potential institutional accumulation and a change in trend.
0: So, well, thanks, Ted. And so, so folks, in a nutshell, a pocket, I know they got technical specific measures for the pocket pivot of what it means, past 10 days, high buying volume today. But essentially, a pocket pivot is really, really big buying volume, institutional buying volume, showing that the stock has interest. And Ted, that's a great comment on on small caps. Folks, if small caps hold here and they begin to rally, that means the rally is, is breadth is is expanding, and now small and mid caps are starting to participate along with the large caps. That would be very bullish for the market. All right, Don.
3: Right. And and actually, Dan, because of that, we saw for the first time in this recent correction net highs in both the New York Stock Exchange and Nasdaq yesterday. Yeah, good point. And that is definitely definitely the small caps contributed to that. Yeah. Good point. Uh, something that, that we watch very
1: closely too, as far as breadth goes, RS <clears throat> equal weighted uh, S and P five hundred has been. Relatively weak versus the market cap weighted because the big seven have been dominating so much. But these two days higher, uh, uh, the RSP outperformed the SPY or the S and P 500 on a market on a, a overall return basis. So you can see the positive relative strength there. Not showing up today, but you don't get it every day. Obviously, this is a market, uh, but this is another one where equal weighted failed into the 200 day moving average. And we, this, we want today's high to be recaptured on the RSP to see that that breadth continues not only through mid and small, but also uh, hundred stocks in the S and P big cap index. Thanks Ted. Let's take it over to Connor now.
4: Yeah. So today big mover this week has been home builders. So I just kind of wanted to, look at a few home builder charts and, and look at what they were showing before they staged a, a big move. And obviously this is a very rate sensitive group. So with uh, rates pulling back, um, they caught a bid and with CPI cool and a strong market also helped uh, in aiding this move. But nevertheless, a lot of names in the group were were showing telltale signs. So. Yeah, this is the chart of ITB. So if you look at that, right, uh, two weeks ago, it had those, it gapped up huge above the 200-day moving average. It staged a pretty big move. And the last seven days has been just extremely tight. Uh, Shows you that supply was really drying up and and demand was still there. And when you see a, a sector group make a big move up and consolidate like that for seven days and, and be extremely tight. It's a pretty bullish signal that, that this group wants higher. And what could have gave you more conviction is if you look at PHM Polte. this is a, this is a leader in the group. And this had the same, the same setup. It, it, it got extremely tight after gapping up. Yeah, let's wait for you to pull up PHM. Yeah, same, very similar setup. This was having like a little cut base, cut base breakout, but same idea. Five, six, seven days, extremely tight and volume just dried up to the max. And and this led to, you know, we had the positive CPI catalyst and these gapped up. But even look at them now, they're still extremely tight in that day's bar, haven't given any of these gains back. So a good tell to, to see if, if something gaps up and gives up the gains immediately, then it was probably short covering or, or fake buying almost. But if a group's leaders in a group can gap up on, on huge volume and, and pull back on light volume, then that that's telling you, price action is telling you that it could be real. And um, and then Toll Brothers, TOL, this is another leader in the group that had the same type of setup as PHM and, and whatnot. And this was a case where I talked about this before, bottoms up or top down approach. This one would have worked either way because if you're scrolling through the sector ETFs at night and you saw ITB, then you're like, okay, I'm gonna go look at individual names. They were all all the stars were lining up. And personally, how I came across this was looking through the individual names, and then going to the sector, and and it and all the stars were lining up. So um, I think a key takeaway that um, to take from this is that some of the strongest moves are are always gonna come from group group strength. So. If you have one good stock set up in a group where the rest of the stocks look bad, well, then there's a lower likelihood that it plays out. And when we think about cybersecurity stocks, Crowd CS, those that was multiple names in an industry group setting up, and that's been like the leading sector uh, the last two weeks in this market rally. So. Um, yeah, I think to always be looking at the sector ETFs and then diving into individual names to see if you can try and catch some themes and trends emerging in the market.
0: All right, thanks Connor. Don, I got a quick question on the Toll Brothers and Pulte charts. They're they're very similar. Uh is that would you consider that a cup and handle where the handle is forming even though it's not a perfectly right side of the handle that kind of gapped up? Uh, for the right side, you see what I mean—that where you have that downward, right sloping line would kind of be the yeah, that would be the left side of the cup. But then it didn't really yeah, form handle. the right; it just, huh?
1: That's the handle. The right side yes. side of the cup was formed very quickly relative to the left side of the cup. But that that's because of the follow through day and the interest rates decreasing. But uh, it's not a handle, but it certainly is a cup and handle, and with a okay. very clear breakout on human now pulling back two days on lighter volume.
0: Got it. All right. Well, that was a good recap. Don, you got anything else before we go?
1: No, I think, uh, some muff this week from the guys and we're just watching this last move up digest the lows of the gap up day are critical, uh, to hold on all of the major indexes.
0: And folks, I did forget to say at the beginning of the show, we're actually doing this early on Thursday. We're recording it early. Don's going to an economic uh, summit, an economic event this weekend. So uh, we decided to do it early. So folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Uh, You can just send them to revereasset.com up in the right hand corner. There's a subscribe button. They can put in their name and email. We're not going to spam them or send them a bunch of junk. It's up to them to reach out to us and tell us they want to a complimentary portfolio review or they've got a stock they want to talk about on the show or a topic they want on the show. And next to that, there's a subscribe button. I mean, a, a, a contact us button. They can send an email, goes directly to me, and uh, they can ask about becoming a client or onboarding or find out more information about Revere. And you can always email any of us, uh, dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, michael Ted or Connor at revereasset.com. And you can always, always, always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a... Oh, last thing. Next week is Thanksgiving, right? We're not... We're taking a break. I'm giving the guys a break for Thanksgiving. We'll still be working. We're just not going to do the show. So folks, have a wonderful and safe and happy Thanksgiving. And we'll talk to you next week, two weeks, in two weeks on your money
1: because it's not about how much you made in the markets. It's how much of that you can keep.